So the question we're going to take a look at today, having to do with whether or not everything in the Bible is relevant, I'm going to read this to you. Some of my friends and family members believe that the laws of the Bible were written so long ago that they were only pertinent to that culture and are not relevant for us Christians today. I understand that the sacrificial ceremonial laws of the Old Testament that were practiced for the atonement of sins are no longer needed since Jesus took care of them once and for all. But what about other laws? And how can one easily distinguish between what has been abolished and what God still wants us to practice? Is it as simple as saying that if it is written in the New Testament, then it is relevant today? It's a good question. And this is actually very similar to a lot of questions we've received that have to do with morality and immorality and, and how to bear witness with our faith in the days in which we live. And is the Bible relevant to culture? Is truth that was then truth today or are things truly changed? And if we misinterpreted to say, oh, that's the way things still are, and isn't God changing with the times? It's kind of at the essence of this question and many of the questions many have had. So is the Bible, or everything in the Bible, truly relevant? You've maybe seen this quote before. I want to share with you uh, author and atheist John Loftus from a book he wrote, Christian Tradition in the Bible, Truly Irrelevant. He says this, let's just face it. The Bible and the people who produced it were barbaric and superstitious. The only redeeming qualities about the Bible or the Christian tradition are those things that civilized people agree with about them. And hence, they are irrelevant to modern, scientifically literate people. Now, do you agree with that? I don't. But a lot of people do. I find it interesting, you go back into the 18th century, a guy by the name of Voltaire, a, a French philosopher, predicted, he said, within the next hundred years, the Bible will cease to be read. It will cease to be wanted. It will cease to be believed. That was his prediction in the 1800s, or 18th century, rather. And the funny thing to me is, is that Voltaire's house is now a Bible distribution center. I think that proves God has a sense of humor at times, right? But that God's Word has not gone away. But what about that question? Is it relevant? Is it relevant to life today? Or was it just some ancient book that, that is just worth kind of pondering and thinking, like reading a great classic in literature? Is that what the Bible is all about? Or is the Bible truly relevant to today? And how do we share that? When God's Word tells us to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have and to do so with gentleness and respect. How do we do that given the truths of God's Word? I, I love what 2 Peter uh, says about what Scripture is. We need to see what, what does Scripture say about itself because the question can come up. Well, first of all, to prove whether it's relevant or to even talk about that, we have to ask the question, is it true? And, and what is Scripture? One of the great texts that, that we cling to that upholds what we believe in, in terms of our doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture 
is based on a, a scripture like this, 2 Timothy 3. And, and let's read this together. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now to reflect on this a little more, all scripture is, is God-breathed. That, that's that doctrine of inspiration, that, that it's more than just a bunch of human authors just writing what they feel or what they think or their opinions on something. Rather, God spoke through his people, his prophets, his authors of scripture. And you think about what that means. We've got the Bible being written over over 1,500 years by over 50 different authors at different times in circumstances, and yet somehow, some way, this thing seamlessly flows together, and that God is working in and through, fulfilling what He promised. If you've ever tried doing a group project back when you were in school or maybe at work, just trying to manage just a few people to work on one specific thing, you know how difficult that can be. And imagine trying to pull together over 50 or more people over 1,500 years writing at different times and say, okay, this is all going to come together. And this is impossibility. And yet we see in Scripture one of the, the incredible proofs of, of inspiration is that somehow, some way, God is intertwining and weaving through prophecies and promises of God's Word. Uh, some have figured it out that the probability, for instance, of, of Jesus fulfilling just seven prophecies of Old Testament Scripture, and, and there's like over 250 of them, uh, predicting who He would be, what He would do as Messiah who would lay down His life for the world. Uh, that those who study numbers have figured out the probability of one person in history fulfilling just seven prophecies would be something like one chance out of 10 to the 17th power. In other words, one shot out of a number with 17 zeros behind it. In other words, this is incredible when you realize Jesus not only fulfills 10 or 7 prophecies of Scripture, but hundreds of prophecies. And it's just one example of how God's word inspired in the promises and the prophecies of old are fulfilled in a Savior who comes. But he says, all scripture, God breathed. And what is it useful for? It's useful for teaching, right? Rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, wait a minute. I don't like that word rebuking. I don't like the word correcting or training because that might make me feel uncomfortable. Would you agree with that? We want it to make us feel good. We want to be just really thank God wants, I want you to tell me that everything I'm doing right now, what I am and what motivates me and where I'm at in life and, and, and where I'm maybe going my own way. Lord, I want you to tell me you like me and you love me just in those ways and just keep doing what I'm doing. That, that's what in our sinful flesh we want to hear. And the reality is when we read scripture, sometimes it does make us feel uncomfortable. God uses it really as a mirror, as a, as a curb, as, as we learn through the law that redirects our lives. It, it, it may feel uncomfortable. It may be inconvenient at times. But it's in His love and His desire for us to be in His care, a God who knows all things and knows what is best, that God's Word gives us that incredible gift of guidance. I, interesting, though, this is not popular. We live in a day and age where the truth of Scripture, that there's such a thing as right and wrong, has truly been eroded in our culture and, yes, even in our churches. 
And, and, and that is an unfortunate thing. We, we live in a challenging day where Jesus and his teaching has been reduced to kind of the guy who feeds the poor and, and uh, loves people. And, uh, and that is one side of this. I, I found a, a cartoon I want to show you. Maybe it gets into the dialogue and the challenges of sharing our faith in the culture in which we live. Um, this girl, she says, I feel like Jesus' teachings can be summed up like this. Don't hurt anybody's feelings. Because if something hurts someone's feelings, it can't be Christ-like, right? I see that sentiment everywhere, her friend says. How on earth do you reconcile that with the Bible as a source of truth? I mean, the truth hurts sometimes. It convicts, it pierces, it expels that which is false. It's subjective and at times exclusive. And the truth is true no matter how we feel about it. And her response, want to know how I know you're wrong? Because that hurts my feelings. And, and we've come in a day, and this is postmodernism, is that the truth is relative. If I can come up with my own truth, and that's one of the challenges of sharing our faith today. And, and being relevant, realizing God's word is relevant. It's always been relevant because truth is relevant. And, and God who is the way, the truth, and the life, who reveals himself through his word, is true. And by nature of being true, he is relevant. But our culture has shifted, no doubt about it. But I'd like to suggest today that we've shifted too. Because I don't think the issue is God's word being irrelevant. I think the bigger issue is, as Christians, we've become irrelevant to our culture. And not in the way that you think I mean. I'm going to open up scripture further here. Second Timothy earlier says this, and when Paul's writing this to Timothy, he says, And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What I think is important here, and we're going to see this more, is that if we think that our witness is all about policing morality, and that our faith is about sharing morality with the world, we've missed the target. We've actually become irrelevant to the witness of what the scripture ultimately lifts up about what God is all about, what God's word is all about. I find this a lot when I talk to people. They just, they're just paralyzed, afraid to share their faith. And the more I probe and ask that question, well, what are you afraid of? Well, what if I offend somebody or, or what if, who am I, you know, to say and tell them what is right and what is wrong? And already by what they're sharing with me, I'm realizing they're confusing our witness for trying to force people or scare people into moral living. In other words, that the, the message of God is right and wrong. And, and here's the message is we, we want to tell everybody what to do. And if they're not doing good things, we want them to turn and, and do better things and do the things of God that our witness is about policing morality. And the funny thing with that is, is that's what every other world religion does. It's about just policing morality, trying to create well-behaved people. And if that's what drives our witness or is what leads our witness, I think we've missed something. That isn't to say God isn't concerned with morality. Not at all. It's not what I'm saying. But what leads our witness? What drives our witness? 
There's a day when, when Jesus, we read this in the gospel in John chapter 5. Jesus had been speaking to the Pharisees. And as it was, they were challenging him. They, they were uplifting legalism and, and, and trying to lift up the church of the day. And, and, and they were very content in their own self-righteousness. And Jesus challenges them in that. And, and he says this to them. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. What is Jesus saying? Pharisees built their lives based on going through ceremonial righteousness. Checking off all the ways they were following God's ways. Trying to say, okay, in fact, that wasn't enough. They added a whole bunch of other rules to the list of rules. To only just add to the, the mix of what would separate those who were holy or righteous apart from those who weren't. Jesus says, you study the scriptures because you think that through them you possess eternal life. What he's speaking to is their legalism, their idea of policing morality. And Jesus says, you've missed it. These are the scriptures that speak of me. You know, our theology of witness, our theology of scripture is that all of scripture, Old and New Testament, points to Jesus. I've heard it said the Old Testament conceals what the New Testament reveals. Kind of a neat rhyme to remember that. Uh, but really the Old Testament doesn't conceal much because the Old Testament paints a picture of what Jesus would be, what Jesus would, be, would do, and, and how as a Savior of the world, He would lay down His life to fulfill the Old Testament law in its fullness as a, a perfect human being. But also to love people right where they are with that gospel of forgiveness that comes by way of his sacrifice and redemption, that comes by way of his, his rising again to new life. Jesus' ministry was all about being with those who were far from God, those whom the church had rejected, those who were marked as people who no longer were wanted by, by the church. Jesus' ministry was marked by being among those whom many had considered unworthy, unrighteous. And unfortunately, as Jesus' ministry was relevant to those who were hurting, those who were lost, those who were really truly stuck in their sin, Jesus was relevant to his culture. But unfortunately, what has happened in our day and age is we flipped that on end. We've come to a day and age where whereas the church failed, I think what's happened is we've become very irrelevant in how we share that truth of God's word because we've led by morality and said, this is what it's all about. And we've pointed out what's wrong with the world and we've told everybody how far they are from God. And maybe just by our attitudes or our indifference. But often it's by just simply thinking that our witness and our job is to police morality. A lot of times that can play out in politics. A lot of the times that can play out by the picket signs and, and the boycotts that happen in our culture. Many people have asked, well, what do I do? I have a neighbor who's a homosexual. Uh, what do I do? I, I like to shop at Target. <laughs> and the question comes up, well, where would Jesus be? Would he be out there picketing and, and, and pointing out to the world and policing morality? Or would our Savior Jesus be relationally connecting 
to where people are. We see Jesus spending time with those who had been rejected. And, and that's the thing. Is, is the goal to build up morality and force people into moral living? Or is our goal and our job and our calling to have the opportunity and the privilege to just simply relationally introduce people to Jesus? Knowing that you and I don't have power to change hearts. We don't have the, the ability to change minds. But the Holy Spirit does. And Jesus does. And to realize that when we share Jesus in a relationship with him, and as people start to spend time in the truth of God's word, God's word has the ability to change lives. Sometimes we, we as Lutherans, we lift that up, and yet we forget that in our day-to-day living in this culture is we simply are here to introduce people to Jesus. And sometimes that means we don't clinch the deal. <laughs> Maybe it's you have a relationship with people in your life, and, and if you have homosexual neighbors, I pray you're friends with them. I, I pray you invite them over for dinner. I, I, I pray we are engaging in our culture because that's what our Savior did. And we have nothing to fear because we're here in the truth of Jesus and his love and compassion to introduce others to know that. Um, I love what, what John writes toward the end of the gospel in John 20, verse 31. And this comes after the resurrection. He says, this was written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You know, John does say these things were written so that you would be moral and upright. No, these things were written so that you might believe Jesus is the Christ. God's word points us to a relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and through that relationship continues to lead us as broken as our synodical president once said as sinners among sinners which is really our calling in life is to realize in humility we're all in the same boat and we have an opportunity to share God's love through a relationship in Jesus. And God lead us in that, to be relevant to the grace and the love of Jesus as he leads us as his people, to lift up truth, but to do so with gentleness and respect. Now, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we come before you in challenging days. And days where your scripture perhaps has never been more relevant to the brokenness and the sinfulness and the fallen nature of of our broken world. And that includes each of us in this room. Lord, we need your grace and we need your love. We ask you to continue to open our minds and hearts for what it means to be relevant with your word. To introduce people to Jesus, Lord, and And to realize it's not our job to police morality, but rather, Lord, to introduce them to you. Teach us each opportunity what that looks like through relationship, to the context of being there for people in their time. And Lord, as you've called us and given us your grace, so may we be people filled with grace. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen.